I'm Dave Rubin, and joining me today from Washington, D.C., is the just re-elected senator from the great state of Kentucky, Rand Paul. Welcome to the, as you called it, the, the Dungeon yeah, Rubin Report. Glad to, glad to be with you. <laughs> All right, so when we booked this trip, we knew we were going to do something post-election. We thought there was going to be some sort of red wave. Thought you guys were going to be in charge of the Senate. Can we pretend like we're still before <laughs> the election and there still is the possibility of a red wave? Did not work out that way. How you feeling? You know, uh, with my race, very good. We got the highest percentage we've ever gotten. I got about 62%. In most of our rural counties, we got between 70 and 80%. We had 10 counties, we got more than 85% of the vote, 10 counties, more than 80%. Probably altogether about 50 counties, more than 70% of the vote. So that kind of shows a little bit of what's going on nationally. That was from rural counties. We do very well in rural America, not so well in urban America. Mm -hmm. So we have two cities in Kentucky, Louisville and Lexington, that are of any kind of significant size. We lose those 60-40. Um, but I think that's that's part of the answer to you know how we do around the country. You see that we win the geography, we just don't win the population necessarily. How long do you think that can hold when people look at the map and they see basically an 80 to 90% seemingly red map, yeah. and then they see the population centers that are blue, the tension between those two areas? Well, um, something's gotta give, but we're basically just about evenly divided. I mean, it's hard to believe you can have an election in Georgia and there's an almost even amount, I mean, almost exactly even amount of people on either side of the divide. Yeah. And I think people are voting more just which uh, tribe they think they belong to. Um, people say, oh, it's about candidate quality. Well, frankly, Dr. Oz was a great candidate. He, I've seen him campaign. He's a great retail campaigner. He was on daytime TV you know, for goodness, for a decade or more. He's very good with people and very likable, very intelligent, can answer all the questions. And uh, so I don't think it was he was defeated because he wasn't quality of candidate. I think it's that we're in sort of these separate camps and uh, they are different camps. But frankly, it's interesting when I meet people, almost anybody who's working is in our camp. I mean, so it's interesting. You go into a machine shop and 10 guys have grease on their hands. They're as Republican as you come and they're not very... Uh, considerate of people who don't work. In fact, they're disdainful of people who don't work. But we also have a labor force participation where 38% of our country doesn't work. So that's a huge block of voters there. There's also a huge block of government voters. In fact, I think the 87,000 IRS agents is, is more about politics than it is about harassing us. Sure, they'll harass us. That's a given, and I don't want them. But I think it's really about 87,000 more voters in Virginia. Maybe not all of them oh, in Virginia, wow. but a lot of them would be in Northern Virginia. That could tip the balance. Even So literally just moving people from wherever to Virginia just to take this job because well, it's so close. Well, also they're employed yeah. for a long time for government, there's a tendency yeah. to say, well, you know, deficit's kind of a problem. But then again, they pay me really well. So... Uh, so you see how government workers gradually kind of shift over to the Democrat Party. And most of the three counties, you know, just on the other side of the Potomac River are very are very Democrat, but they're all federal government workers. So if you grow the federal government, you make it harder to, to for a Republican to win Virginia. Is that your biggest frustration as probably the most libertarian senator that we have, that people just in the end of the day, despite quality, uh, candidate quality or anything else, they kind of just want more stuff? Sadly, well, it is, and I, I talk about it a lot. You know, when I when I talk to folks at home and around the country, it's that what we're offering is intangible. We're offering the opportunity. We're offering freedom, the allure of what comes with it. One that you're left alone to do whatever the heck you want to do, but also that great prosperity comes with freedom. 
but it's an intangible. It's not a concrete. The other side is offering you a cell phone. You yeah. want a cell phone? You want the government to buy you a cell phone? You want the government to pay for your college? You want the government to pay for your housing and your food? And so they're offering something, and it's the allure of something for nothing. Yeah. And the people working for it are frustrated by it. The people receiving it are like, yeah, it's not too bad. Maybe I could use more. Maybe I could have, what about universal basic income, you know? Yeah, so. so if if things had gone a little bit differently and the Senate had, had broke red, uh, would you be licking your chops right now, figuring out what to do with Fauci and, and figuring out we what to do? We still are going to try. It's, a, it's obviously not ideal, but I'm going to try hard to convince the Democrats. I sent, I don't know if you read Nicholas Wade's uh, article in Medium. This came out about a year ago, and it was the the article that awoke everybody. I hadn't even paid much attention to the lab leak until I read his article. It's like 40, 50 page article. No one would touch it. The, none of the mainstream media would put it. He printed it on Medium, which is a, a self-publication, mm -hmm. but it's incredibly well done. He's written for Nature, Science, New York Times science writer, and he writes this, and it's just an amazing reveal of how um, the science points towards this coming from the lab and that there has been a cover-up. Um, so anyway, I sent that article to uh, leading Democrats on Homeland Security that has the oversight to investigate this with the hope that maybe one of them will read it and go, my God, we should investigate this or this could happen again. Um, <laughs> Where so, does that hope stand right now? I mean, does anyone, when you send them these things, does anyone care? I've, does I've, anyone? I've tried for two years to get any kind of hearing and have not had any luck. But I think some of it is it became very public, the squabble with Dr. Fauci, and he yeah. became the paragon of uh, government. And they, the Democrats love government, so they don't want to be attacking government. But the really, the, the look into the virus's origins isn't an attack of Biden. In fact, most of this happened under the Trump administration, frankly, yeah. and, and under the maybe Obama administration. But letting go of gain of function, letting gain of function research get started again, really there was a pause, and I think they were disobeying the pause, but then really it happened under the Trump administration. I don't think Trump had any idea what was going on, but it right. did happen during his administration. So it really isn't pointing fingers at one president or the other. It's really about getting to the bottom of this so this doesn't happen again. So even if you had the Senate and you were in charge of the committee that was you know, putting Fauci out there and dealing with all of that, it's not like much happens after, right? I think that's one of the things people are always confused about. Like we have these hearings and then yeah. does anything ever I actually think people come want some, you know, people in the, at the Trump rally say lock them up. Yeah. You know, they want somebody locked up. And frankly, if you lie to Congress, if you're a Republican, they do lock you up. If you're a Democrat, they ignore you. Right. But I don't have any, um, I guess, naive hopes that that would happen. And if you did lie, and if Fauci lied, yes, you should go to jail. But they control the DOJ, and so I see that. But here's my hope is still this. Even in the minority in the Senate, my hope is to win the argument, convince the public, and then do something about it. And that doesn't mean necessarily someone goes to jail. What it means is that we regulate gain-of-function research. Our tax dollars, number one, shouldn't go to Wuhan, China, period. I don't even say, even if they're, you know, just trying to discover penicillin, I wouldn't send them the money to do it because I don't trust them. And we don't have any money. We're borrowing it from them to send it to them. So it doesn't make any sense. So I wouldn't send any money to most foreign countries for research. Let's do some research here. But even the research here, um, they're monkeying around with bird flu and all these mm -hmm. different flus that are very contagious. And they're like saying, well, it's really deadly, but it's not aerosolized. Let's try to make it aerosolized. Yeah. Let's try to adapt this deadly virus that doesn't spread very easily. Let's see if we can make it spread easier. It's a death wish. So we did have one subcommittee hearing, and I had three scientists come in. They're not partisans. I don't even know their political persuasion. In fact, I think some of them lean Democrat. One from Rutgers, one from MIT, 
and one who's a, a, an tech entrepreneur, all three of them came to independent conclusions and they said this kind of research needs to be regulated by an independent agency like the Nuclear Regulatory Agency. So for example, if you're making uh, centrifuges in your basement in Miami, you're not allowed to sell them to Iran. Is and, that right, guys? We're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and <laughs> as much as I'm not for a lot of government rules, I am for that. That's right. for national security. You shouldn't be able to make, you know, atomic weapons and sell them to people, you know, or make the ingredients. Every libertarian has their limit. Yeah, there, we there, just there got there yours. You can't limits, build your own yeah. nukes. Okay. That's my arms limit. Yeah. But I would have the same kind of limits on DNA. If we make DNA synthesizers, and you can create a virus out of, of just the particles of it. So it really is there. And a virus can't survive without a host. But really, you, you, they can create life now. We can create any virus we want to, and they can put it together, put the parts together, and then all it has to do is enter into a cell, and it's alive. It takes over the cell and uses the cell to be alive. But we, we create them out of nothing, and all you need is the map. And so we should be regulating that, the, the machines that do it, the machines that um, help them to recombine the virus, and maybe some of the animals. So we have these bizarre things, these hybrid animals that are, are chimeric animals. They have mice that have human lungs. So what you do is you put a batch of virus in there that's, that doesn't infect humans really well, and you put it in, and almost all of it dies, but a little bit of it lives, and then you run it through again and again, serial passage until it adapts to the human lungs. And you're like, oh, hey, we made this virus that doesn't infect humans. We select it out by pushing evolution. Mm -hmm. Evolution could randomly, something switches and becomes infected in human. It's unlikely, but it can happen. This way you force it to evolve by continuing to run it through uh, human lungs that are in mice. You can force it to evolve in a direction to make it more adaptable to humans. And that's what people think. This thing came out of the lab and boom, it was incredibly infectious to humans. And the thing that one of the strongest arguments is it won't infect bats. We can't find an animal that is a native host to this. And they think almost all of the coronaviruses come from bats. Well, how did this thing get so distant from bats mm -hmm. so quickly without us seeing it somewhere else in the population for a year smoldering? Nobody has antibodies to this till boom, 2020, and then everybody gets it. Basically, you're giving me the beginning of the zombie movie, right? <laughs> that, that's yeah. where this whole thing goes. So Essentially, and this, and this realize... The world went nuts, completely, mostly Democrat governors, but even Republicans went nuts mm -hmm. on this thing. Look at that, beating the crap out of people in China, locking people in their homes. This death rate was 0.3% in the end. It wasn't nothing, it wasn't nothing to sneeze at, but 0.3%. There are viruses that they're monkeying around with that have 15, 30%, even 50% mortality where half the world would die. Can you imagine the freak out when one gets out of a lab that has a 50% mortality. What, what were you doing in Kentucky like that first two weeks? Because I always say on my show, I grant everybody sort of a complete leash for those first two weeks when we had no idea what was going on. And even DeSantis, who really came out as the hero of this thing, he did lock down in essence for two weeks and then reversed. But as, as the Liberty guy, what, what were you doing and what kind of pressure never, did you guys I never favored get? the lockdowns and I didn't vote for any of the money. I didn't vote for one penny no. of the COVID money because I always thought the choice was, the Republicans said, well, for shutting down the economy, we have to give people money. We can't, we can't just do that. And I said, well, maybe we could reconsider shutting down the economy. So I never was in favor of the lockdowns. And I you know, had hoped that maybe Trump would do it temporarily. But Trump succumbed as much as he was portrayed as a strong character. He never fired Fauci. And his people kept saying, if you fire him, you'll lose the election. Well, he lost the election and didn't fire Fauci. Maybe he should have fired Fauci early on. And uh, Fauci, Burks, 
they, they were all you know big government people with decisions every day. They had a different opinion. Almost none of it was based on science. And still to this day, they won't acknowledge that natural immunity works. If you've had the infection, you have mm -hmm. some protection. And this isn't to deny vaccines. They both work. Vaccines work. And so does natural immunity. And actually, the combination of it's why people aren't as afraid of this disease anymore. But it's also why, as they start to mandate COVID vaccine on children, that we should say, well, hey, my kid already had COVID. Does he really need a COVID vaccine? Shouldn't I get that choice? And the question I keep asking, if my kid's already had COVID, yeah. what is the chance that he goes to the hospital and dies with a second bout of COVID? It's probably zero. In fact, I haven't seen a case mm -hmm. where a kid had COVID unless the child is very, very sick from some other disease. Mm -hmm. And almost all the children that died under 18 were very, very sick and sadly were, were dying from some other disease. There was nobody, there were no like healthy children, like, oh, my, you know, healthy 10 year olds right. playing in the yard gets COVID and die. Didn't happen. And so we shouldn't be forcing the vaccine on them, particularly because there are some side effects to the vaccine for children, uh, particularly boys between the ages of 16 and 24, yeah. which just happen to be a lot of the kids in our military, young men in our military, um, are at risk for heart inflammation. And that risk exceeds easily their risk for any kind of problem from COVID. And then, of course, Dr. Aladipo in Florida, the Surgeon General, puts out that report and then Twitter censors it, which is a, a whole other thing about censorship. But I know you're tight on time. So let me just ask you one other thing. So as we're taping this on uh, Tuesday, supposedly Trump may make some sort of announcement tonight. Obviously, the big thing right now in the Republican Party is which way is this thing going to go? Is it going to be a Trump party or perhaps a DeSantis party? I know you you founded one the Liberty Caucus, right, with... Uh, with Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis? Early on, we were allies up yeah. here. I knew him some from the congressional baseball game. He was a good baseball player. Yeah. He played at Yale. And I can remember him coming to one of the early practices and hitting home run during practice, which is, you know, for a bunch of old guys yeah. out there playing, <laughs> it was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was a good player, but he ended up having shoulder surgery at that time and didn't really play on the team. And then he ran for governor. So I don't know him real well, but I have met him. I've been impressed with what he's done. The other thing is, it is about who you hire in your administration. The fact that he's put forward this this public health doctor who is telling it like it is and mm -hmm. telling the truth and is not just an apologist for big government and unafraid, uh, such that he's got big tech alarmed. I'm I'm pretty impressed with that. What what, what would you want to happen there? I, I'm not asking you for who who do you like more, but in terms of do you want them if it's going to happen to battle it out publicly, or would you rather it sort of be dealt with privately? Because there's just so many fights it seems like right now in the Republican people Party. Always, it's funny how people come to politics like, uh, well, why don't you just step aside, Dave, and I'll do it, and uh, or you come to me and say, well, well, you know, I would be better at the center of Kentucky. Why don't you just step aside and yeah, you yeah. can sort of give me some advice. No one ever does that. Yeah. So it never really works behind yeah. the scenes. So what happens is if people have it inside them and, and people in politics aren't shrinking violets, they, they believe they have some of the answers. And I think Trump would fall into that category. I think DeSantis would fall into that category. I think there's a half dozen others. If I had to guess, and this is just a guess, um, I think today Trump's going to announce. That's probably not a, a fairly easy guess. Mm -hmm. And then I think that uh, at some point in time, DeSantis will announce as well. But I think once there's two, then I think it'll be hard to hold back some of the others. I think mm -hmm. there'll be a Pence. I think there'll be a Pompeo. Um, I, you know, they've all said they you wouldn't get, run against Trump. back in the mix? Yeah, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I do think that there will be a mix, though. And yeah. For me, the decision will be on who is the least likely to get us involved in war. A lot of them will be fiscally conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them, I think, are um, 
you know, much more inclined to, to be involved in foreign war, much more aggressive. I mean, they'd send my kids to Ukraine tomorrow, most mm-hmm. of them. And uh, I think Trump a little less, actually. And Trump leans a little more independent or libertarian on the war issue. And that used to be something that could bring new people into the fold. Mm-hmm. But now the progressives in our country are more hyped up on going to war in Ukraine than just about anybody in the world. I mean, they really are ready to go. Now, they're, they're not ready to fight themselves, but they're yeah. damn sure ready to send your kid to Ukraine. And the fact that we already have soldiers in Ukraine and nobody's really talking about it just sort of silently happened. Oh, they're just advisors. They're just counting the weapons. They're there to have oversight. You know, it's like, yeah, until one of them's killed or a couple of them are killed and then we're in the war. Plus the blank check that you tried to get some receipts on. We'll we'll keep waiting for those receipts. Senator, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.